Else why? What is your favorite game? My favorite game is Zero Escape. Nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. started playing games uh i think the first video games i played my parents bought me a oh no that's right educational games for the pc i had a bunch of um like winnie the pooh stuff and i was obsessed when i was like pre-kindy i mean you just mentioned my magical joy words winnie the pooh oh you too oh my gosh i have i literally have a piglet plush over there like Oh my god, I was obsessed. And <laughs> I used I'm to... I'm still obsessed. As a 30-year-old, I have so many stuffed oh, me poo toys. Uh... And there's a small poo plush that I bought in New York about a year and a half ago, nearly, <laughs> that, uh, I, that I absolutely cherish for so many sentimental reasons. Um, yeah. yeah. I've got um, one of the first paycheck I got at um, this new job I started. I bought something I wanted for a long time, the Poo Nendoroid. Which is like, it's the one that's got him holding the note from Christopher Robin and making a little face like this. Audio format. But yes, it's my prized possession. Uh, and I used to, as a little kid, uh, sneak up while my dad was playing Diablo on the PC. I wasn't supposed to watch him play it, but I was fascinated. And then it was my friend... The first game I had on my own was my friend lent me her copy of Pokemon Sapphire. And... I managed to cajole my parents into buying it, and that was it. That was, you know, it's the typical, you know, playing under the covers late into the night. It was about 10, I think. And then after that, it was... That got me a lot actually into writing. You know, I was on the forums role-playing as a Pokemon trainer, uh, doing all of that. And that got me into Phoenix Wright. And that got me into visual novels and adventure games. And so that was mainly what I played as a teenager. I was never really into... My, my hand-eye coordination is not so good, so I was never a shooter type. So I played a lot of a lot of Pokemon, a lot of Phoenix Wright, a lot of... Jeez, what else did I used to play? Persona? And... Yeah, I didn't... I never actually owned a lot of games because I grew up in Australia and they are quite expensive if you were a teenager with no part-time job. So I mostly lived off of other people's experience and, you know, going to my friend's house and playing Smash and all of that. It'd be safe to say considering that sort of Pokemon slant, you were obsessed with it. 
yeah, it was my first special interest and continuing. Yeah. Gosh, I've played... I, you know, having said that, I have never actually played Red and Blue or Yellow. I've played... Mm. I think I've played every other gen. I played Silver on an emulator. But I've never gone back and played the originals. Which is probably heresy. But uh, I played, you know, I played Fire Red. That's close enough. Well, it's the same thing. It's just Yellow is just basically Pikachu, basically. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Going back slightly. Yeah. The Win the Winnie the Pooh games, basically. Oh my god. What, what 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 were they like? Like what were they? It was literally like learning the alphabet. We're talking like I was five. Oh. Like, <laughs> they're not as inch Oh, having said that, there was one for the PS2 that gave me nightmares. It was like I mean you do you imagine like a PS two tie in game? Like it was terrible. But it was like you were exploring as Winnie the Pooh and you had to fight things and they were like um, what you may call it? Mini games where you press the buttons. What are they called? Quick time events. <laughs> don't don't suppose this is by any chance Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> it was not Kingdom Hearts. I did play. Oh. I played the first Kingdom Hearts and I never beat the stupid Shadow in the Peter Pan level, and I gave up. So I missed right. the Kingdom Hearts boat by being oh, bad okay. at video games. <laughs> Don't suppose by any chance you played the poo baseball game, the notoriously difficult baseball game? Again, very bad at video games. Don't think I beat the first level. But I have seen it. I have, I'm familiar. I, I, I think I've gotten as far as maybe, maybe the second level, but like it's just notoriously difficult. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just like, I mean, that was Flash games back then, though, wasn't it? Like, the whole point was to be or games in general was to be stupidly difficult like mm. do you remember I want to be the guy I tried playing that did not get very far Can't you don't know that. I want to be the guy oh my god it was legendary it was like the original impossible to finish flash game it's, it was kind of like getting over it by Bennett Foddy but mm. it was like a flash platformer mm. Yeah, I played actually having said that I played a lot of flash games because they were free so I played a lot of the early armor game stuff, like the with the elephant. I liked that stuff. And, you know, just whatever was on the Flash aggregate websites, like Newgrounds and whatever, was, uh, whatever would get past the school's uh, filter. So I was going to be a writer. I was going to be an author. I, if you're familiar with um, NaNoWriMo, I wrote a NaNoWriMo yeah. and I was like, cool, I can do this. And, you know, I did, like, the Australian equivalent of A-levels is, like, you... Yeah, I did the, like, as much English as I possibly could. And then I went to the university open day, and I went to the, you know, the English creative writing course opening thingy, and I was like, wow, that sounds boring as fuck. Uh, <laughs> and then I looked on... The schedule, and way over in some forgotten corner of the university, past three car parks, was the building where the shiny new games design course was. It was only in its second year at the time. I was like, 
Fuck it, I'll go see what they're doing. And that sounded great. Oh, sorry, I didn't ask. Is swearing okay? Yeah, swearing's fine. <laughs> sorry, just checking. Some... It's fine, fucking go for it. Okay, cool, just checking, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we're crammed into like this tiny building and it's like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing, but we decided to start a game design course. This is 2000, end of 2012, start of 2013. And I was like, cool, I guess I'm doing that because I don't want to do yet more fucking Pride and Prejudice era. I hated that stuff. Yeah, so I had no real... Having said that, I used to make... I used to... Well, I never actually finished one. But there used to be like these make-your-own-Phoenix-right engines. Not like the ones we have now that are like super easy to use, but like people were like trying to recreate the Phoenix-right engine. So mm. that you could... Can I just stop you there? That's, there's my food. Ah. Sorry, I, 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 I'm sorry for breaking you off. Like Don't that. worry, I'm cool. A few moments later. <laughs> I am sitting tight. Twelve seconds later. Johnny is getting, in his words, a chippy. Three weeks later, many months later. So much later that the old narrator got tired of waiting and they had to hire a new one. God, I'm a mess. <laughs> nah, you're valid. There we go. There we go. There we go. Food, food, food is sorted. Chips, chicken nuggies, and curries. Curry. Uh, nice. The good stuff. Anyway. For those just uh, joining us, I have had to go out and grab food last second because my takeaway arrived. Anyway, I cut off else while uh, he was talking about uh, making your own Phoenix Fred uh, uh, yeah. engine. So sorry. I was yeah, I was kind of writing an article about that once upon a time. I've still got the research, but yeah. So there was a back in the forum days, there was the big Phoenix Wright forum, and people would share the fan made cases and whole fan made games that they made, and that was. Sort of my introduction to making games in general. And, you know, I, I did a lot of imaginative, like, making up Pokemon games with my friends as a kid. So, yeah, and then I got into the games course, and that was... A, I had never really touched programming before that, so that was a kind of uh, <laughs> wake-up call. But, you know, I, I do my best. It was one of those design courses where like, you do a bit of everything, like I did a bit of 3D, I did a bit of script writing, lots of general theory, like uh, narratology versus ludology, which by the way is fake. It's, 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 it's a fake argument, and it's very silly. And then by some happenstance, my father's... So at this point, I'm, what, I'm 23, I'm living at home, Rent in Sydney is atrociously high. I yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah, and it's not just like like rent in London is high, but the food's cheap. Food in Sydney is not cheap. Uh, <laughs> so I'm living at home. I am unknowingly uh, chronically ill. Like I know I'm depressed, but I don't. All I know is is that I can't do things as well as other people, and I don't know why, and no one seems to know why. Uh, so living on my own is not really a possibility. I don't have, I have like three friends because I am very autistic. Uh, so living with roommates is not really an option. Uh, and my 
Dad gets... Oh, and there's no... Uh, <laughs> no games jobs in Sydney. There was one when I was in high school, and that was at... Um, fucking the Bondi studio. Whoever did... Um, oh, Team Bondi. Yeah, the Doubt game. Yeah, L.A. Noir. That's the one. You know, the Doubt game. <laughs> I, I applied for an internship there. Whew. Bullet dodged. Oh, oh definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. No job prospects, no nothing. Um, and then my dad got a job in England. Uh, so my choices were basically stay in Sydney and try to make something of it or move to England, and which seemed to have a more thriving industry. So I moved to England. Uh, and that went well. I got a shit temp job and made an interactive fiction game called To the Wolves. I got 11th place in IF Comp 2016, which I will not let anyone forget, especially not Victor Hohel, whose surname I can't pronounce. Sorry, Victor. I've made a terrible dog's dinner of that. Uh, he came... Uh, <laughs> he came 12th by, like, 0.01. We're very good friends now, but I never let him forget that. Uh, and from that, I got an internship with Fail Better Games. Uh... <laughs> After a certain someone had recently left, uh, made a lot of friends there, um, and then started developing Retrace, and then did from you know doing an internship with Failbeather, managed to get various you know interactive fiction mobile jobs, generally to support myself while I made Retrace, and now I'm here, living. Now you are here. <laughs> Here is... Post-retrace. Post-retrace. Well, you're releasing retrace now in console. I am. That was, that was, as we're recording, that was announced on Tuesday. It's now Saturday. I have been sitting on that information for eight months. Uh, <laughs> I was going through... I was basically courting publishers for my other game, one of several that I'm making, called Hope Sustains, and... It, I was just looking at East Asia Soft's website and they were like, do you have a game? Would you like it on console? And I was like, fuck it. I'll just submit it. And then they said yes. And now Retrace is coming out on Switch, which is like the craziest thing ever. Like, I can't tell you how much of it. <laughs> it's the cl most cliche fanboy dream, but to have a game I made on a Nintendo console is like, it's unbelievable. Like, I know it's nowhere near as hard now as it used to be, but it, it's, it's still a very cool little milestone. It's a massive accomplishment. Thank you. I'm very excited. I haven't played the port, so if, you know, people are listening to this and the port's shit, I'm sure it won't be. The people at East Asia Soft are really nice and very talented, and I'm sure they did a great job. But I'm just saying, I haven't played it. <laughs> I'm sure it's good. Actually, it's probably better than the PC version, because uh, it turns out QA is really hard. And programming is really hard, and sometimes things just don't do what you want them to do. N no matter how many hours you spend reworking the code over and over. That was basically, that was basically me with Play Diaries before I launched it. <laughs> <laughs> I had no coding or design experience for oh, it. God. Everything you see is oh. just basically being held by cell tape and duct tape at this point. God, I literally saved up money to pay someone to do my website because I can't... I just, I, you know, the kids who did Neopets, I, mm. I, I, I was not one of them. I could not do a, <laughs> I can't do an HTML or a CSS to save my life. Having said that, I'm learning slowly. 
from um Grim Grim Watture who does Twine tutorials because I did obviously I did to the wolves in Twine and I stole someone else's layout. I think no, I think it was a free layout, but I still took it uh, and I somehow <laughs> did the CSS for um, the retrace side story that I did. But yeah, I do not like CSS or HTML. It's very bad. The, 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 the feeling is very much mutual. <laughs> it's very much mutual. Let us talk of your favorite game, nine nine nine. Note, uh, note how he didn't say the full title. It's because neither of us can remember which way it goes. I have it in front of me. It's nine hours, oh nine persons, nine doors. It is a very silly title. It is. How would you sort of describe? No, not describe. How would you compare it to say what? Let's call them the numerisms. The what? The numerisms. The numera titles. Oh God. Kingdom Hearts. Oh yeah, no, it's not as bad. (laughs) Definitely not as bad as the fucking. No, definitely not. It's good because it means something. There are nine hours, there are nine persons, and there are nine doors. And you know the sequels. Actually, uh, if you get me started on Virtue's Last Rewards title, we'll go. We'll be here for hours. It's a good title. (laughs) The Japanese version is essentially can be translated as either "Good people die" or "I want to be a good person." So. uh... That's just a huge fuck you to the translators, but they did a good job. <laughs> and then the last one is Zero Time Dilemma, which you have no time and there's a dilemma. And also Zero has given you a dilemma related to time. Can't argue with that. So it's at least basically better than any Nomura title. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, basically, what we're trying to tell you here is don't go, go, don't take after Tetsuya Nomura and name your game basically the same way he would name a Kingdom Hearts game. No. Well, (laughs) you say that, but um, if I was going to give an award to the worst title, I would probably um, give it to Yoko Taro. And I'm not going to look it up, but uh, it's the title of the Near Replicant remake that they're doing. It is like... Yes. I know, or like it's on like near replicant version one point three five, yeah, six seven eight nine ten, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Yokotaro for you. <laughs> and yet, I still wouldn't say that's worse than anything by Nomura. <laughs> that's just Yokotaro. That's true. I guess that's a personal taste. <laughs> um, so zero. Uh, uh, just... I have the th- so this is going to happen a lot, basically, and I now have the title in front of me because it's in my notes, basically. <laughs> um, anyway, um, nine 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 came in at a time when visual novels weren't too popular. 
like I don't think it so. feels like not it feels like now there's a lot more of an audience for it, but back in the day when when it came out it was something like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. It was in fact Japan two thousand nine, North America two thousand ten. Which is crazy because I could have sworn it was way before then, but no. I could, yeah, I thought it was something like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Well, I found out recently that um a game that I thought had like influenced me since I was very young only came out in 2011, so that was a memory. I have a very good what memory. What game was that? Um, Eeb. I-B. It's a um, RPG Maker horror game. Oh, 2012, that's right. Made in RPG Maker 2000. And it it's... Um, we'll talk about that in the third part, but um, it's a classic... Well, I thought it was a classic RPG Maker horror game. I guess the whole genre is more recent than I thought. It's just that uh, the entirety of 2009 to 2012 is kind of a blur in my memories. So anything that happened in that time is just kind of clumped together. Well, I was trying to go for it was just basically how it arrived at a time where it's felt like things are starting to pick up a little bit for the genre, for the visual novel genre, in that you had one or two Phoenix Wright games out at the time. Yeah. And you also had a few Professor Layton games out at the time. That's true. But those were very core... Not, how do I say this? They were very specifically driven towards a more casual-ish audience, with yeah. the exception of Phoenix Wright. But like, I mean, even Phoenix Night- Wright, I think... Um, sorry to interrupt you, but... Um, no, 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 it's okay. The guy... Oh, who's the guy who does Phoenix, right? Ah, Takami, that's right. Um, yeah. Takami Shu. Uh, his, one of the quotes he has on the first Phoenix, right, was he wanted to make a game that even his mother could enjoy. So, yeah, even though it's, you know, a murder mystery, it's still very much, like, geared towards a more casual audience than, say, pretty much every other game at the time. <laughs> well, no. That's a little unfair, but a lot of... Yeah, especially with visual novels. I mean, you're talking what? When did Chaos Head come out? Like, it's very, like, you know, hardcore people who like Japanese games. 2009, hey. Yeah, so definitely, in terms of games aimed, not even aimed towards the West, just games that Westerners who weren't already familiar with anime and Japanese games... And uh, games that they could, or even would, like, walk into a store. Remember when you used to do that? And pick up a game. Uh, Yeah, not a lot in the visual novel department. Everything else kind of had a cultural sort of barrier, even. Mm. Which is one of the great, you know, uh, achievements of the Phoenix Wright localization team. And obviously Professor Layton had that little British veneer over it. Hmm. And like nine nine nine, compared in contrast, was very much a niche game in a, in a sense in terms of its audience. Anyway, yeah, uh, very yeah, very gory. Certainly more so than Phoenix Wright. Um, there weren't a lot of death game. When did Saw come out? I was just about to say Saw because like there's a lot of Saw. <laughs> there is vibes, a isn't it? lot of Saw, especially in Zero Time Dilemma, but. Yes, um, very much so. When did the first Saw come out? This is just going to be me uh, googling things. 2004. 2004. 
Oh, I thought it was five. Mm. I've got the uh, speedy Google fingers. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, it's definitely Saw vibes. Definitely silent, almost silent hillish. Nah, a little bit with sort of the pyramid head stuff and the. No, actually, scratch that. Ignore that completely. Yeah, you're right. Not a lot like it. That very, you're trapped somewhere. You've got so many hours. You've got puzzles that you have to complete. Especially on a console like the DS. Like, that was very much, certainly as I saw it, you know, I was only not very old. Not very old, but I didn't know much about the greater um, game scene. Again, my games were somewhat limited, but... Certainly not like anything else on the DS. Like, the DS was like Nintendogs and Pokemon. It was not like this yeah. console for serious horror, which is what... Yeah, it, it had basically established its audience, basically, with the casuals. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was very out of the norm for the DS and for visual novels that could appeal to Westerners. But it really did. It um, I don't know the numbers. I don't know how well it actually did. It certainly did better in the West than in Japan, from my memory. Well, certainly VLR did, uh, which is a whole thing that we'll go into later. But yeah, it was unusual in, I suppose, how much story it had and the way it told that story. And yeah, and yes, the setting, which was very bleak. Which they actually, they walk back in VLR. I guess what I was sort of, um, yeah, there is a lot of soul influence in it, basically. Um, like, like not just in 999, from what I knew of it, but, like, also, like like you say, throughout the entire series as well. Oh, like, I mean... I, I felt like I definitely felt that influence in uh, Virtue's Last Reward, and it's and I should feel for that now it's news this, but, like, Virtue's Last Reward is the only game in the series I've played... Um, on the 3DS, although I do think I have the entire trilogy at this point on console. We can talk about that in a, uh, in a little while. But we basically, um, yeah, there's like there is there so many soul vibes. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's hard to escape it. The promotional one of the promotional images, and actually one of my favorite parts of Zero Time Dilemma, is a classic saw trap. It's uh, the main character, one of the main characters, Sigma. Uh, in a chair that has a revolver attached to it and his partner has to either shoot the revolver, like pull the trigger, it's a game of Russian roulette, he has a 50-50 chance to live, uh, and if she doesn't pull the trigger, uh, someone, the third person in their team will get incinerated. So it is very soyish. And yet, Zero Time Dilemma leans hard on that. VLR actually walked it back a bit. It's still... Yeah, I know. Um, Interesting. Which is, it's a whole thing. Um, so I'll go, I guess, a little bit into comparing the three in terms of their horror vibe. So uh, setting of 999 is the Titanic. Uh, you have a device on your wrist. It has a number on it. Uh, there's various things where you have to go through these corridors in certain groups and if you break one of the rules, there are small bombs implanted in your stomach that will explode. Uh, and this Ooh, is boy. both 
it's not shown. So the art style is sprites and backgrounds like Phoenix Wright and some CGs. There's no super gory CGs. You just see like some blood spatter, but the uh, descriptions, the uh, the written descriptions are quite nasty. In VLR, they change the death method to you get anesthetized and then a poison is injected, which is relatively more chill. But then, you know, there's also various other deaths that happen in that game. Uh, and then in ZTD, they... Actually, I don't think they have any punishments for doing badly, except the various traps, which, again, you know, roulette wheel and... Oh, yeah, being incinerated, being, you know, blasted with acid, that kind of thing. Having your head chopped off. There's there's a lot of that. It is definitely very sore-like. The, the, the through line I am seeing there is that the first one is re- very gory, but, like, it's consistent in the way that it'll kill you. Yeah. The second one is consistent in the way it'll kill you, but at least... It's a lot more, like you say, chill about it, a lot more calmer about it. Yeah. But the third one is sort of yes. varied, varied pick and mix, basically. Yeah. Pick and mix how you want to die! Which kind of it reflects the development. So the first game came out, right? Uh, mm. I don't I don't have the numbers off, my, off the top of my head. I don't know if you looked them up. Uh, did okay. Did slightly better in the West, I think. Then when they did VLR... And I'm recalling this from some interview I read like five years ago. So if anyone corrects me, I'm sorry. But basically, the someone, the publisher, someone uh, wanted to walk back the gore, which is why it's, you know, it's cleaner. It's got a nicer sort of setting. It's not as gritty as the original. Uh, in an attempt to appeal to more people, but it still didn't do very well. And the only reason Zero Time Dilemma got made, which <laughs> uh, VLR ends on a cliffhanger, so that would have like been very disappointing if the third game had never been made. It was only because the Western fans did something called Operation Bluebird, where they basically made this massive like fan petition, fan art, fan everything to show their support for the series and try and get it made. So I think Zero Time Dilemma was made on about $11 and some duct tape. And, you know, it's controversial. It's a controversial game. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I didn't dislike it, but it's not my favourite. The gore stuff aside. Yes. Uh, there is a lot, there is uh, obviously the very heavy puzzle elements of the game. Um, how did you find that? Uh, I don't, yeah. The good thing about the puzzles is there's a lot of really great dialogue but the puzzles themselves can be kind of like annoying at least in vlr it lets you write down solutions on the bottom screen so you can keep track of it the first game was because it was i think the first of its kind it was very like they hadn't learned a lot of things yet gosh it's been so long since i've actually played the physical game like sometimes i go back and read through the dialogue someone has a screenshot let's play of it up but it's been so long since i've played the puzzles i honestly i mean they're important and i don't like that the console release took them out but i think they can be a little overly complicated in some manner 
Hmm. And they're not, you know, the best implemented in the world. Hmm. But they're still, like, they're important as part of the game and part of the... Basically for the flavor text. With that in mind, then, like, what about the story aspect of it? Like, like that seemed to be the one that you were sort of... Your eyes were lighting up with. <sighs> oh, my God. The story. The story in playing Zero Escape was kind of... Like, by this point... Okay, so when did I play Zero Escape for the first time? It was after I entered uni. So I was already going to be a game designer, but I hadn't really played a video game that made me feel the way that Zero Escape made me feel. Like, it really... I imagine it's like when a director, someone who grows up to be a director, watches their favourite movie for the first time. Like, it makes you understand what the um not genre the medium what the medium can do the ways that you can work with the medium to tell a new story that a new type of story that people haven't done before or that you know the way you can use the medium to draw out people's emotions and to show things and to reflect the world and concepts that you can't with whatever medium you've been working in before, in my case, just uh, straight prose. So, uh, can we do a block spoiler warning for the next? Yep, 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 yep. So, spoiler <laughs> warning, I guess, even uh, though it's basically like ten year, over 10 years it is old very, at this Listen, point, but... I'm going to say this. If you can't play 999 on a DS, like if your only option is to play it, on a PC or another console, don't don't bother. It's not. It's no. <laughs> you won't get the experience. You won't get the amazing experience, which is so. The way nine 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 is formatted, it is a visual novel and an adventure game. So it has on the top screen, I believe, it has the sprites and it has the text boxes, and on the bottom screen, it has a narration, and the whole game you have you know, dialogue boxes, so that's essentially first person, and you have third person narration. And the way the game works, it's a traditional-ish branching, what we would think now is a branching choice system. So you make choices to go through certain numbered doors, and most of these end in your horrible, grisly death. Um, And some of them, you, or one specifically, you receive a password. And then if you take a different branch and you choose the right choices, you'll find a place where you can enter that password. And at that point, someone asks the main character, well, actually, to be completely accurate because someone's going to call me out on this, it happens a few scenes later, but someone says, how did you know that? And on the bottom screen, it says, well, that was obvious. He knew because I knew. And that's how you find out that the bottom screen, the person who's been narrating to you the whole time, is someone completely different from who you thought was the main character. And that person is the one, is essentially you, the person you're playing as, is the person on the bottom screen who is watching Junpei, the main character, air quotes, uh, go through all these timelines and see all these possible paths and is guiding him to reach the one path that they need him to reach for a specific goal that I won't go into. But uh, yeah, and that 
just broke my brain. Like, using the DS like that to have the two screens. And then there is a point at which you flip the DS upside down because you are now playing as Junpei and the puzzle is on the top, is on the bottom, which is now the top screen. And that was like, I could not believe what I was seeing. It completely blew my mind. That's what made me want to make interactive fiction. <laughs> That's the kind of feelings I wanted to make when I made games. The way you sort of described those sort of, um, the way those sort of multiple deaths, it, the way you were describing it there, it sort of reminded me of how there's each an option of the way each time, each ending resolves uh, a different death in near automata, with the exception yes. of A through, you know, um, F, yeah. G through Z is just basically yeah. you dying in stupid, stupid ways and the game just ending there. Yeah, uh, I do. I like the endings in. I think that system's very fun, even though the ending B is kind of annoying after you first played it. Nier was Nier Automata was very close to being my pick. I think it's a really great game, and there are some really, some very stupid and some very interesting. And again, messing with the interface, like the ending where you take your chip out because that's part of the interface. Is you use chips to upgrade yourself, and one of them is your OS and the game if you try and take it out the game's like yep that's just another chip like any other you can take it out and then you die because you no longer have a brain that's so dead that's so funny that's like that's it's thinking of everything taro thing ever. it's so good and eating the sardine and is it a sardine I don't remember anymore but it's 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 something fish related it know. is a fish and it's a stupid pun in Japanese and it's yeah Things like that that mess with the interface make me very happy. I mean, uh, yeah. And, and Nero the Mother does that in other ways. Like, it's got the the way that it all glitches out when you reach ending C. And, yeah, it's... it's oh, God, that's a fuck. Why don't we talk about Nero the Mother? No, we're talking about 999. Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll talk about <laughs> Nier later. I'm going to be frankly influence him now to basically talk Nier Automata for the next 90 minutes or so instead. <laughs> because, like... I covered it for my favorite game of 2017, but frankly, yep. it's in my top ten at this point. So let's talk near all time. No, no. I mean, it's in it's far. It's absolutely in my top five. It's like near 999. Why am I talking about this? We're going to talk about this later. We'll talk about this later on in Audible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the Need other aspect that I, that that I that I find fascinating about 999, and I guess the other games in um, virtues, um, zero escape, zero escape games. Thank you. Seriously, this is. I got you. This is, there's a catchy title. It's okay. Um, the other aspect of it is that it feels very much. We mentioned the soul aspect of it, and the reasons why so many, I got so many soul vibes from it, is besides the atmosphere and the tone, is because of the fact it very much feels like, an escape room at times, escape rooms even. Yeah, gosh. So, yeah, the when I would love, and I probably should have looked this up before I came on the podcast, but escape rooms and escape room games. Well, hey, this goes back to the Flash games that I used to play in 2005, 6, 7. They were everywhere. Like, they were so... Everyone on Flash was making escape room games, and there were some really classic ones, like the the lake and the ones in that series which i 
think recently came out on Steam um, and games like that to like just random, you know, someone's found some assets on Google and thrown together a puzzle and that's an escape room. But so they were making those very early and then at some point, yeah, when did escape rooms take off? Like all of a sudden it seemed like you turn around and there's escape rooms on, I suppose there's The Room. That's a game. So Escape Room sort of kicked off around the mid-2010s, anyway. Yeah, so... Like, in terms of physical games, anyway. Like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You mentioned The Room as well, but... There, you mentioned The Room as well, but I'm wondering if you've... Um, I feel like I mentioned this game so many times because we don't press play on it, but, like, <laughs> um, you played uh, TikTok or Tale for Two as well. I'm familiar with it. I haven't played it, but I'm familiar with it. I don't have any friends. I'm kidding. But no, I, I'm familiar with it. But yeah, when did so? Wasn't it? Am I crazy thinking that's recent, or is it, there it something? It is fairly recent. It's late twenty nineteen. Okay, good. I thought I was losing my mind. Okay, no, I have not. Okay, that's cool. I should play that. That looks just good. Recently teased their next game as well. Exciting. But yeah, it was like I, <laughs> I I played Zero Escape, and I used to play. All these... Sorry, I cut you off. I'll finish the sentence. No, it's fine. <laughs> I do that. Uh, and then, all the, yeah, all the, the escape rooms on Flash. Like, I cannot overstate how many escape room games there were. And then I turned around and suddenly escape rooms seemed like they were everywhere. And everyone was playing them. And I was like, alright. I love escape rooms. Let's do that. But it felt like a very sudden jump. Maybe I missed something. Have you actually ever done a physical uh, escape room? No, I don't think I have. I'm saying that because there's some memory in the back of my brain going, yes, you have, but I can't figure out exactly. I We did a sort of one in high school, but it was more it was like an escape room slash cross Sydney treasure hunt. So there were puzzles, but we weren't trapped in the room. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Completely missing the point really but yeah going back to um 999 like yeah definitely felt like it had that sort of escape room nature to it anyway definitely well yeah that's what it uh, that's why it's called that is why they rebranded it i think zero escape because there are rooms and you escape them and i don't believe when the first one came out it's like how they rebranded phoenix right to be ace attorney instead of phoenix right because, you know, they wanted to have sequels. And with Zero Escape, I think when they, when VLR came out, which was not that long ago, the escape room phenomenon had already started, so they decided to call it Zero Escape. To be like, hey, look, it's escape rooms. Which it is. So, the console version. The console versions, let's say, of the Zero Escape games. You, are, you, you sort of made this very clear, but you don't like them. No. Um, okay, having said that, um, 999 you have to play on a DS, there's just, listen, I respect, I have the deepest respect for the people who tried to make it work, but it just, it's, you just can't get the same effect on Mm. a single, and that's kind of depressing, because no one's ever going to make a DS again. No one's going to make a dual screen console, unless I pray really hard. But no, 
But um, uh, I play well. I play VLR on the DS. You can probably get away with playing that on yeah VLR and Zero Time Dilemma. You can play on other consoles, and that's fine. Nine 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 is the one that really requires the uh, the DS, um, which is also why it's my favorite. VLR is very good, and I like its conceit and what it does, but I still prefer. 999 and zero time dilemma is zero time dilemma <laughs> zero time dilemma is they tried um the way they sort of describe 999 as well and i guess the whole zero escape saga as well is that there's a lot of fourth wall breaking in the game as well yes. like uh like to the point that you would sort of think it would give any other games or developers who do fourth wall techniques a run for their money mm. and like the ones that i'd be thinking of here in terms of you know developers who really sort of nail the fourth wall breaking would be taro and kojima yeah now here's an admission i have never played a kojima game because i'm not good at them <laughs> I, I know i know i've watched some of a playthrough, and I probably will eventually someday play Death Stranding, but uh, no, I've never, I have never played a Kojima game. Oh, I know I should. And you need to, pl- you need to play Metal Gear Solid Two at least just yeah. for the fourth wall breaking. Okay, okay. I did, to be honest, I knew Kojima was like did some crazy things. I didn't actually know that much about his fourth wall breaking, so I will. That shit terrified me, Metal Gear Solid Two. Oh my but God. I digress. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, Taro was really good at it. Um, Uchikoshi, his he has a set of other games which I'm not sure were ever officially released in English. I know there are fan translations floating around. Um, Ever Seventeen does a very classic fourth wall break, which is it's it's basically the prototype to um, it's basically a prototype for Nine 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 and what Nine 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 pulls. And then there's the other two, which are whatever. The other person who does it, sort of, but then can you really call his works games, is Yukishi. So um, Higurashi no Nakakoroni, uh, when they cry, sorry. Higurashi when they cry, Umineko when they cry, and I don't know how to pronounce the third one, Sakonia. Uh, they are very meta. Very, very meta. But they are also technically kinetic novels and not not games. But I like them very much, and I really just wanted to uh, to just sort of shove them in here because I like talking about them. But they are technically not games. <laughs> sort of after the the games came out, the Zero Escape games, there was sort of this bigger rise of visual novel games, anyway. Yeah, um, like like. Besides the, zero, the, the, the the future Zero Escape games, there was the likes of Danganronpa, Doki Doki. Gosh, Technically, to, to an extent, could you arguably say, even though it's not real, it's not a visual novel at its main core, it is an RPG, but you, could you arguably make a case for, in a sense... Persona as well? I think you can make... You can definitely make an argument. I mean, I made a j- joke. Big, big letters joke. Uh, 
uh, chart that argued some very silly things about visual novels. I think I argued that Near Automata was one. But uh, the, the, the what is a visual novel argument is heated and let's not get into it. But I think you can you can certainly make an argument that there is a significant visual novel element to Persona 5 as much as it has social. Mm-hmm. I mean, social, uh, look at um, Hadaful Boyfriend. That is a classic visual novel oh, that has stat raising. Uh, visual novels used to have, I mean, dating sims. Now we're getting to dating sim talk. But they are also... And Murdered by Numbers as well. Fuck, I forgot yeah. about Murdered by Numbers. Oh, my... FBI would kill me if I didn't mention that. Ugh. Don't tell him I haven't played it. <laughs> it's on my list. My list is so long. Listen, I promised <laughs> Gary... It's on mine as well. I promised Gary Kings I would play his... He literally gave me free copies of his games three years ago. And I only played them like a month ago. It's so hard when... I don't know what it is about being friends with developers... But there, there becomes this block in playing their games. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, definitely murder by numbers is one. Had a full boyfriend, Doki Doki. Ah, uh, um, I would be remiss not to mention Hotel Dusk, which was not by the Phoenix Wright people, but was very popular with the Phoenix Wright fan base and came out at around the same time. Very hard to go back to now, but was a very... Also had a lot of... Did a lot with the DS mechanics, which I thought was very cool. Um, really played with, like, what you could do with the touch screen and, you know... <laughs> it had one puzzle that relied on the actual movement of the DS case, which meant that you couldn't play it on a 2DS. But uh, that was really cool. There was a game as well that came out last year that's very visual novel in a way. Um... And it was very popular as well. I can't mind the name of it. Um, came out came out in Switch and PC. Ooh, that does not narrow it down even a little bit. Now I'm looking at my Steam library. It was it was, it was very eighties esque. Like sort of oh, like, um, you're probably talking about Paradise Killer. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, I actually just bought that on Switch, but there's a bug. I'm one of the three people in the world who inverts my X axis and. The x-axis invert is broken on that game, so I'm waiting for a patch. They very kindly gave me the soundtrack when I pointed it out. <laughs> but yeah, as as one of the three people who does that, I have not been able to play it. But it looks very pretty. Um, th- I guess the point I was trying to go for is that <laughs> just sort of... Um, just we digress. We digress a lot on this show, not just me necessarily. Um... Although we did possibly get two of the worst people in the world in terms of digressions. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, like, it feels like now, compared to when 999 came out back in 2009-2010, feels like visual novels are certainly getting their due a lot more now, especially after, you know, Doki Doki, even a few years ago. When yeah. Paradise. That was a big one, yeah. Doki Doki was a big one, especially because I, I mean, Doki Doki had two great things going for it. It was free, and it had a scare element, which made it was great for streamers, and And that in itself was breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, oh my god, if we're talking about breaking the fourth wall, I mean going into the game files, that's cool. The, um, the, uh, the part at the end, which I won't spoil, but the part... Actually, no, why would I not spoil it? It's like five years old. The part where it either recognises if you're streaming or goes into your uh, 
your user folder and picks out what it thinks is your name. That freaked me out. Because I use my, yeah, I use my full name as the character name. And it was like, hey, Els. And I was like, uh, that's not the name I used. That was, yeah. I don't know, yeah, I don't know why I use Elliot. But I do. But, uh, yeah, that, yeah, I guess going into that, like, streaming visual novels is like, you would think it would be a problem for the developers, but it doesn't really seem to have been. I mean... Re people love reaction videos and if you have a crazy scene in your visual novel you know people want to people want to see it uh, i've picked up so many visual novels that i've seen that this is a tangent i'm sorry that i've seen people play <laughs> is essentially where i'm going oh hey my steam library is playing in the background that's another game that's kind of takes its roots from games like this is um Fucking the return of the Obra Dinn. Mm. It's puzzles. It's got a story. Is the return of the Obra Dinn a visual novel? Tune in to my hot debate with myself <laughs> and my cat. Else versus Tilly. Uh, what is what what is Obra I am, Dinn? Is it a visual novel? I am novel? so genuine when I say I do not want to have any arguments with anyone over what a visual novel is. I don't care. <laughs> If you say your game is a visual novel, it's a visual novel. Fair enough. Genres are stupid. <laughs> I could sort of see the frustration just washing across your face when you say that. I was just like, uh, it's one of it's one of those things where we have the same argument. Uh, um, my friend Jada, Jada Zavaris, that's another name I've just butchered. I'm sorry, Jada. Um, has a schedule of the arguments that the VN community has. And uh, we have what is a VN approximately every April, so uh, tune in for that in two months. <laughs> <laughs> so, what else do you like about 999 that uh, we've not discussed tonight? Um, well, let's talk about the characters. I think what it does, again, talking about the flavor text, the characters, it's very clever, I think. So there's exactly nine characters. Technically eight, because one of them bites it within about 30 minutes. Uh, they have codenames, and they all have very distinct personality traits, and yet they have hidden depths to them. And I think Uchikoshi just does a really good job of writing each character and bringing out their personality in what very limited, really, text he has. So you've got the flavor text in the puzzles, wherein you look at an item and everyone gives their opinion on it and you can keep doing that. Like Junpei does stupid jokes and another character will do a stupider joke. Or, and I just think they're very memorable. So there's my favorite, possibly one of my favorite characters ever is June or Akane, who is the deuteragonist and uh, spoiler, 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 the villain. But not the villain. It's complicated. Um, she's the the actual protagonist, so she's the person on the bottom screen. Um, she's sort of in the sense that it's kind of done. It's kind of overdone now. But for me, at least, it was one of the first games where I played where they really took. And again, Danganronpa does this, where they take the childhood friend, innocent young woman who you have this, 
who you perhaps haven't seen for a few years and she's matured and your main character loves her and is trying to reconnect with her and then it turns out she has this darker side that he didn't know and you know she's got her own she's really got this whole other personhood that he has not been privy to and he completely underestimates her and gets dunked on as a result which is not very uh, elegant way of putting on it but putting it but uh, there you go um yeah i really love akane i don't necessarily love what happens with her in the rest of the series but i think she's a really interesting character and i think he does a lot of justice i mean you look at the character designs for 999 and i really can't defend them they they're better in zero time dilemma but i can't defend uh his the character designers uh decisions on some of the women but oh yeah i like the way he writes the female character the women characters are written i think they're really interesting and varied in a way that I hadn't necessarily seen in games before I play this and honestly I don't see very often still. That's one of the things I like about it is I like Clover and how even though she's a young woman she's I don't know how old Clover is but she's like 14. Um, he really captures like the sort of swinging wild swinging emotions that you would imagine from a young woman of that age. I yeah, I think he does a lot with very little, which is a lot of what I like about it. What didn't you like about it? <laughs> Let's talk about the character designs. Let's not. Um I don't understand why I don't understand why Lotus is in a belly dancer outfit. I don't understand why Alice in Virtue's Last Reward is literally not wearing a shirt and just has some kind of gigantic Egyptian necklace. Uh, I don't understand why, uh, what's her name in the third game, is wearing a bra and a jacket over it, except for the obvious answers, which is titties. I don't, uh, stop. Ah, put the shirt on. <laughs> but, um, you can make that argument about a lot of games. Um, some of the... The original game, like the original DS version, lacks a the ability to easily go back and choose and see what parts you've taken, which you can make an argument that that's like, you know, part of the design, but sort of one of the things about that kind of design, it's like the kind of game that made you it's like a fucking hitchhiker's guide game, right? It's like we think that you know, the old games that we had that made you do everything by hand and it was really hard. We think those were good, but actually they were bad. <laughs> and we've evolved and it's okay to evolve and it's okay to streamline the player's experience so that they can get more out of the story and the puzzles and everything else and they're not like butting their head against the limits of human memory and getting essentially taken out of the game because you have to physically write down like okay well I did that that and that and that caused me to die a horrible death so it lacks that in the uh, the original game but they actually that is the one good thing about the console release is they added a timeline and is 
a very good thing about um, Virtue's Last Reward is that there is a timeline system. So, how would you rank the free Zero Escape games? Like, obviously, 999 at the top, but how would you rank second and third? I think it's got to be 999 VLR Zero Time Dilemma. Like, So, basically, in series order. Yeah. It is. I do. VLR sometimes bumps 999 off the list because mm. I've just been thinking of. Like, I'll just have been thinking about it and going, like. The technological advancements and some of the story. Of, mm, mm, now I'm thinking about it. No, nah. The characters are better, and then I just remembered that VLR makes this inexplicable decision to have this horrible cutscene every time you move between rooms, and I'm like, nah. Actually, it wasn't that good. It was still very good, but it was not as good as the original. Yeah, if zero time dilemma. Has a few really good moments, but it's also extremely bizarre and way too like it goes way too hard on the sore stuff and <laughs> the animation tried. They went full three mm. D and dropped the sort of Phoenix Wright esque uh, sprite system, and it was not. You lost a lot of. Well, actually, VLR had this problem as well. You lost a lot of expression and personality in the characters. Like, Clover just has this vacant smile, so she looks like a serial killer when, you know, something horrible is happening, and she's just like, ah, smiling. Everything's smile fine. Smile through the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Smile through the pain. Yeah. <laughs> mentions go for it okay here we go near automata obvious gorgeous game i'm not an action game person but i really despite that i really enjoyed it um i think it's really weird and cool and i wish more games did more weird and cool things and it introduced me to the original near and also to dragon guard which is a bizarre bizarre series that i love Dragon Guard 3, so weird, but the character designs are so cool, and there's like weird music stuff, and I love weird music stuff. Like, all the characters are like singers, and they gain their power through music, so all of the boss battles have these really cool soundtracks. It's. uh, so weird. And so good. You saying that is basically reminding me of. That boss fight in Nier Automata and the, yes. the fairgrounds. Oh my god, the dress so... Okay, I'm not going to talk about this for too long because otherwise we're going to be here for hours and I could talk about Yokotaro's works for hours. But Dragon Guard, the first Nier comes from Dragon Guard ending E, which is the one where you go to 
So you're in a fantasy world and you go through a portal to real world... No. You fight. You have a music rhythm battle with a dragon. And then the dragon falls through a portal onto real world Tokyo Tower and spreads this dust which kills everyone and that's what leads to the first Nier. And then like three apocalypses happen and then Nier Automata happens. It's so weird. It's so good. Okay, Ghost Trick. Everyone needs to play Ghost Trick. That's another game that worked really well on the DS. It works really well on mobile. It is by Takamishu, who is the Phoenix Wright guy. Uh, and it is... It's... You are solving a murder mystery, um, but the trick is, uh, it's your murder. You are a ghost, and you can go four minutes into the past from any corpse. So you go four minutes before their death, and you can change time. And the whole... I, my wife is signing at me. She forgets I don't speak sign language. Yes? I need to go to the toilet, but I don't want to interrupt your thing. Okay. I... That should be fine? Probably. Okay. <laughs> um, right, Ghost Trick. Really good. Uh, very funny, very stylish, great music. Missile is the best character of all time. He's. Um, have you played Phoenix Wright? I've played a little bit of the first Phoenix Wright. I think I've played some, like, how many cases did I, I think I played through two or three cases on the Switch version anyway. Yeah. The first game's the best. We'll talk about Phoenix yeah. Wright in a second. Uh, Missile is, I believe, um, Takumi-san's dog, who is a Pomeranian, I think, or a Shiba. I'm pretty sure a Pomeranian. Uh, and he put him in both Phoenix Wright and Ghost Trick. And in Ghost Trick, he's a really good boy who helps you on your quest to figure out what happened to you and also all the other people who die in this game. It's very, very, very good. The puzzles are very good. The story is very good. The music is very good. Play it. Phoenix Wright. I love how you, I love how, by the way, before you get into that, I love how you reference the dog as a good boy. <laughs> he's so... You'll understand if you play it. He's a good boy. It's Missile. Uh, I'm not going to quote. Don't don't let me quote anything else. Um, Phoenix Wright, obvious. Classic. One of the greats in the detective fiction murder mystery visual novel genre. Uh, we love it. We love all of it. Even the new ones. Um, play all of them. If, you're gonna, if you don't want to play all of them, at least play the first one because it's really good. Except for the third case. The third case is always bad. But that's okay, because then you get the fourth case, and it's really good. Who? What else? Uh, Hotel Dusk, I'm gonna recommend, probably. Ah, Christ. Under Why have I not talked about Undertale yet? Because everyone knows Undertale, obviously. That's, like, it goes without saying. Undertale's really good. Uh, Undertale is what made me go, you know, I can make a game in Game Maker, and then I made a game in Game Maker. So that's fine. Um, I am gonna say Umaneko. I'm gonna say, even though it's status as a game, there is an interactive section in the last chapter. Um, you should read it. It's really good. Um, oh, uh, The House in Faza Morgana. That's another one that does not have a ton of um, 
interactivity. It does. It has more than Umineko, actually. Oh, I should probably explain what Umineko is. Sorry. Um, Umineko, when they cry, that's U-M-I-N-E-K-O. Uh, it is a visual slash kinetic novel. Um, it is 18 people, most of which are part of this. Basically, there's a family conference for a very rich family. They're discussing the will. Um, the father, the patriarch is on his last legs. Uh, and then a witch murders them all. Except then it becomes this, like, meta-novel battle. Yeah meta-level battle between one of the dead relatives and the witch in question being like, uh, hey, no, a witch didn't murder my family, that's stupid. And the witch going, I want you to acknowledge me as a witch. Um, it is a very complicated, very well-written murder mystery and character piece. Uh, it's really good. It, saying much more would spoil it, but you should... Um, yeah, if you have, like, eight hours, play the first two chapters. And if you don't like it after the first two chapters, I can't help you. But <laughs> it's so hard recommending things that have such a big uh, time commitment. <laughs> okay, House and Father Morgana uh, has a trans character, which is really exciting for me as a person who is trans. Don't see a lot of that. That was very exciting. Um, and is very well written and well translated which is cool because it takes place in like it shows you like a story that happens in this house in like the 5th century and then the 16th century and then the 19th century and then modern day and how this horrible curse um, of Fata Morgana has sort of cyclically affected these people over and over uh and the writing is really good in the translation of the different sort of styles to show off the different eras is really cool and good. And I like the characters a lot. I think that's gonna be it. Fuck, I don't play a lot of video games. I don't think we all do these days. That's the problem. It's the sort of concept of time, anyway. God, yeah. <laughs> I'm literally... I think uh, I should probably give a shout-out to Sunless Skies, just because I was there for part of its development. Um, that's the Fail Better sequel to Sunless Seas. Skies is... It's another one. All of the games I like have huge, huge time investments, which is a problem when I try to recommend them, but... I think Skies is coming out. I think it will be very good on Switch. So hold on for the Switch version because it's one of those games that, like, it has so much... There is so much story in that game. Like, you will just get lost for hours and hours and I think you could just, like, curl up on a rainy day and spend hours playing it. Yeah, I think that's going to be my recommendations. So oh! Fuck. <laughs> I forgot a whole entire genre. <laughs> Eeb. Uh, the RPG Maker Horror Games, um, which is games made in RPG Maker, or RPG Maker-esque games. Um, I can't in good faith recommend Corpse Party. It's very bad, but it was also very influential on me. Eeb is very good, 
and I think Misao, M-I-S-A-O, are the three, two, don't play Corpus Party. Um, they're just really, it's very interesting what you can do with such limited, again, talking about, you know, the way you use the medium, the medium is the message, I don't remember who said that, but um, the very limited engine that is RPG Maker and pixel art and this very small sort of window that you have makes for some very interesting uh, storytelling and particularly horror techniques which I think are very cool okay now I'm done I promise (laughs) um Top three games ever. What would they be? Obviously, nine 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 at the top, and I would guess near and second. Yeah, I think it has to be nine 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 near Automata and the first Phoenix right. And I, th- I, Pokemon exists in this whole other world because it doesn't influence. I, I say it doesn't really influence me as a developer. It probably does because everything you consume influences you. But it's like in a whole other like. A realm of things that I enjoy. Like, I don't enjoy it for the same reasons I like other games. I enjoy it because it's Pokemon. Mm. So I'm gonna put... Uh, yeah. It has to be 999, Nier Automata, and Phoenix Wright. And then in this whole nebulous category, sort of over to the left, is like Pokemon Emerald. But it doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me, E-L-S-K-Y-E-L-S-K-W-H-I-T, on Twitter. I post my cat a lot, and sometimes I post opinions, but not very often about visual novels because I don't want to talk about it. But I do post game dev opinions and other things that are cool. Uh, Spider Lily Games on Twitter is where Spider Lily Studios, which is too long for Twitter, lives. Um, that's where you can find Retrace. Um, on Steam, you can find it at bit.ly slash play retrace uh it is very similar to (laughs) funnily enough similar to 999 and Nia and phoenix wright all of which are very strong influences it is a time loop adventure um basically i played 999 and vlr and i was like why aren't there more lesbians because i am a trans guy and i like lesbians it's complicated <laughs> it is it's complicated um anyway point b i wanted to make a um time loop mystery adventure puzzle with queer people so i did and that's retrace um i'm also i'm making schrodinger's cat girl which is a visual novel which is basically me going hey you know all those variables in retrace that made it really interactive and your choices mattered and were a massive pain to program i know i'm gonna make a game that's more like that uh, it is about um, a pair of detectives investigating a abandoned manor where recently a 
teenager on like a deer got mauled and they're like what did it and uh, basically as you investigate your choices will determine basically your choices will determine who done it so it works backwards um and then there's like <sighs> yeah hope sustained still happening is completely in another genre whatsoever but it is a farm simulation game that is cool and interactive and has more queer people. Most of what I make is just me looking at the games I like to play and going, where where are the queers? And then making them. That's pretty much why we did the panel at EGX. <laughs> that is exactly why <laughs> we did the panel at EGX. This was literally a question that was thrown at us. Like, who would you make queer in a game? And we just basically said everybody did. Everyone. Yeah. So Retrace is... 999, but everyone's queer. Schrodinger's Cat Girl is kind of like a 2D... If I made Until Dawn, but fewer Wendigos and more queer people and cat girls. And Hope Sustains is Harvest Moon, but 3D and with more queer people. That's a good sell. <laughs> I hope so. I always go like, is that going to put people off? But hopefully, you know, it. hopefully it attracts the right people. The right audience, mm. who who see my vision for the future, which is queer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one can see that. Else can, but no one else can. <laughs> yeah, that's, again, that's why it's got to be us two on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by PlayDiaries.com where people in the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game or press play before they go live publicly, please consider subscribing to our $2 tier on Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, Holly Emery on Fable. Until next week, bye bye.